Do you believe Jesus is with you in every moment? One of the best ways to instill this truth is by spending time in reflection and prayer. Dr. David Jeremiah makes this easy with his new 365-day devotional called Walking with Jesus. This exclusive book is available for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a donation of $120 or more, you'll receive the devotional four-pack, perfect for gifting. Learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. Dr. David Jeremiah calls it the most offensive thing Jesus ever said. And it's only become more so in today's relativistic culture. Today on Turning Point, David examines Christ's claim to be the only way to heaven. Offensive or not, it's a truth we're responsible to share with our world. With encouragement for doing that, and to introduce the conclusion of his message, is he past or is he present? Here's David. And thank you for joining us. During these days, we have been reflecting upon Jesus. A great thing to do during the month of December, don't you think? We've had a great Christmas. We've celebrated his birth. Now we continue to think about his life. And the question we ask today is this one. Where did Jesus begin? In Bethlehem? No, Jesus was in existence before Bethlehem. He just became a man at Bethlehem. I've said it before. It bears saying many times. There's never been a time when Jesus was not, and there never will be a time when he ceases to be. He is the eternal Son of God. Our question is facetious. Is he past or is he present? He's both. And because of that, he is the one who can offer you and me eternal life. We'll get to our discussion in just a moment, but I feel somewhat pressured here to let you know that we're down to the last two days for us to make available to you this beautiful devotional for the new year. It is beautifully written. Uh, It is beautifully designed. It has white leather. It has gold embossed letters, a blue uh, background, a single stitching. It's got a nice little ribbon to show you where you are in the book. The pages are gilded. You want to have this because it's full of great truth to help you get through the year that's in front of you. We want you to have it. Here's how you can get your copy. Between now and the end of the year, send a gift of Turning Point of any size and say, please send me the devotional. I'm going to ask you to do your very best year-end giving. We need your help, and we don't apologize to say that. This that we do is way too big for us to do without you. So thank you for joining us in making the Word of God available around the world. And this time, when you send your gift, please request your copy of Walking with Jesus, the devotional for 24. Here is part two of Is He Past or Is He Present? If a person gets saved and they're promised to heaven, is it possible they won't get to heaven? I'm not going to answer that question today, but here's what I'm going to say. If you're one of the sheep that belongs to Jesus, you have to climb over his body to get in, and you'd have to climb over his body to get out. And that's not very likely, is it? You belong to him. He knows your name. He's the door to the sheepfold. And it says... Thieves and robbers, they try to come in over the walls. But you can't get in over the walls. You can only get in through the door. And Jesus said, hey, I'm the door. (laughs) No one comes into the fold except through me. Now, this is very similar to the next I am. 
Jesus next says, I am the good shepherd. You know that if you go to Israel and you do any historical tour, you see the places where people are buried or places where they have recovered the culture of Jesus' day. What you will discover is that the favorite Christian figure in all of these catacombs is the figure of a shepherd. He is in the bloom of his youth. He has a crook or a shepherd's pipe in his hand. Sometimes he is attended by one sheep only, other times by two. Usually in the picture there are several sheep at his feet in various attitudes. It was a shepherd these early Christians loved to paint on the walls of their chapels, on their oratories, and chisel them on their tombs. And they engraved the image of the shepherd on the chalices which they used to take the Lord's Supper. They traced it in gold on the glasses from which they drank. And if you go to any of the souvenir shops in Israel, you will find many, many things that have shepherds. The best love psalm is, what is it? It's the shepherd psalm, right? Now let me tell you something that's really interesting. Jesus never referred to himself as a priest. He never referred to himself as a preacher. He never called himself a clergyman. He never said he was a bishop. He never said he was an elder. But oh, how he loved to call himself the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. Let me tell you three things about a shepherd that the Bible teaches about Jesus. First of all, the good shepherd loves his sheep. We've been talking a lot about this at our house, and I know you understand. I've never been all that much for having an animal. My wife's had two cats for as long as I can remember. That may be one of the reasons. I don't know. (laughs) But we have a puppy. And I didn't know you could love an animal like we love that puppy. I mean, I love that dog like he was one of my kids. I take him everywhere I go if I can. I took him to the bank the other day. He sat up on the bank and I did my stuff. And people look at me like I'm, I think they think I'm just getting old. I think that's what they think. (laughs) But I love that puppy and I call him by name. And when I leave the house, he cries. When I come back, he gets all excited. He's my friend. And I think that the shepherds of those early days had that kind of relationship with their sheep. Uh, We have some evidence that they gave their sheep names. And they called their sheep by name. And when they would come back into the fold at night, they counted them. They made sure all of them got in. You know the story about the shepherd that had 100 sheep and one of them was lost and he left the 99 and he went to find the one? That's the image of a shepherd. The sheep are the only animal I know that are totally helpless without a shepherd. I've been to ministerial conferences where they speak on the shepherd and the sheep and they love to go into detail about how sheep are the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. And then they, they say really nice things about their congregation. I don't get it, but that's what they do. Well, I'm not going down that road, but I want to tell you this. We're sheep And we're as helpless in our own walk in the Christian world as sheep are without a shepherd. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a shepherd. And we need a shepherd who calls us by name. We need a shepherd who knows us. We need a shepherd who makes sure that we get in the fold before darkness 
and protects us and keeps evil beasts away from us. We need a shepherd. That's why we love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Did you ever read the part that says, he leads me beside still waters. Why does he do that? Because I don't have enough sense to go there myself. (laughs) I'm a sheep. I am a shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. The good shepherd loves his sheep, and the good shepherd leads his sheep. Have you ever had times like this? I was thinking about this the other day. You know, when we get in our car, I have a GPS on my phone. Donna's got one on her phone, and we got one in the car. And we sort of look at each other. Which GPS should we use? Sometimes we turn the one on in the car, and we turn on the one on the phone, and they don't agree. I have gotten lost a lot following my little GPS, you know? When it comes to directions, you all know I'm hopeless. Sometimes life feels to me like I'm looking at a map and someone took the names of all the roads and all the streets and all the places off the map and it's just a bunch of lines and I have no idea where I'm going or what I'm supposed to do. I've probably said this to the Lord more in recent years than ever in my early life. Lord, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. How many of you know when you don't know what to do and you don't have a map that makes any sense, you gotta stay close to the shepherd? People always ask me, Dr. Jeremiah, how can I know the will of God? And what they want me to do is to give them some formula that they can go A, B, C, D, and E. When they get all the spaces filled in, they know they're supposed to be a doctor and not a lawyer. But the Bible isn't like that. And though I have heard many constructs and many sermons about how to know the will of God, i just kind of like you to put them all at the side and remember one simple thing. The way you know the will of God is you stay close to the leader who is your shepherd. You stay close to the shepherd who has the way all mapped out, and as long as you stay close to him, you will always be in the will of God. I don't think the will of God is a place or a position. The will of God is a process. It's a process of walking with the shepherd. And the best way to know that is to stay close to him. Here's a couple of verses that I wanted to give you today. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the right way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. If you know... Ladies and gentlemen, I've had that experience. When I didn't know what to do, I've just said, Lord God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And in very short time, God has told me what the next step looked like. The Lord is our shepherd. He loves us and he leads us. But here is the most important thing about this shepherd. He lays down his life for us. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know, in studying the Bible, one of the things you learn pretty quickly if you're a student of the Bible is if the Bible says the same thing a whole bunch of times in a short passage, it's usually pretty important. I mean, this is called emphasis. The Bible probably didn't have highlighters. Writers of the Bible didn't underline things. But here's what happened. 
If they wanted to make a point, they made the point by saying it over and over again. So let me just direct your attention to the 10th chapter of John, and I want to read four verses that are in a very short span. See if you can't pick up what the writer of this text wants us to know. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, 17, I lay down my life that I may take it again. John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So here is the question. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Was it us with our sins? In some way, all of those are true. But the Scripture says no one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down on his own. Our Lord's death was voluntary. He spoke of laying it down and taking it back up. No one took his life from him, for no one had the authority or the power to do so. The good shepherd, the Son of God, voluntarily, willingly, of his own volition, out of love, laid down his life for you and for me. At the conclusion of the Second World War, as the troops were returning to America, A mother went down to the port to meet her son who was coming home from the battle. She had not been prepared for the extent of his wounds. He was the ultimate wounded warrior. And as the boys came down the gangplanks and were brought down in wheelchairs, she looked all over for her own son, and finally she saw him. And as soon as she could, she worked her way through the crowd to the boy, and she said, Son, look up at your mother. Look up at me. And the boy said, I can't do that, mother. My eyes are gone. She staggered for a moment, and then she said, Then, son, just stand up and greet your old mother. And he said, I cannot, mother. My legs are gone, too. As the awfulness of the war's cruelty settled in upon this dear woman, she knelt near to the wounded boy's body, and she whispered, Then, son, just put your arms around your mother's neck and give her a hug. And he said, Mother, I cannot, for I have lost my arms too. And the devastated woman began to sob, and she cried out, This terrible and cruel war, you've lost your eyes, you've lost your legs, you've lost your arms. And the boy raised himself up the best he could to the full height of the wheelchair, and he said, Oh, no, Mother, don't say that. Lost them? No, 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 Mother, I didn't lose them. I gave them for my country. And the point is, Jesus did not lose his life. He gave it. He gave his life in behalf of you and me. He voluntarily laid down his life for us in order that we might have eternal and abundant life. He is the good shepherd. And the Bible says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He is the good shepherd. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. And the Bible says he is also the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, where this statement appears, Jesus has been called to what he thought at first was the bedside of Lazarus and then to the graveside of Lazarus. Martha was really upset with Jesus, and she said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? And the Jewish people of our Lord's day did not believe many of them in the resurrection. There was a whole group of them called the Sadducees. They didn't even believe the resurrection existed. And here is Jesus saying to this woman, I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, in a few moments, he's going to prove it. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. The Bible is so clear about this part of what Jesus does. Jesus is not just the I am for now. He's the I am for the future. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, how's he going to resurrect us? I mean, it seems like everybody's getting cremated now. And they take their ashes out to the ocean and they scatter them all over the ocean. And Jesus is going to resurrect us. Let me just say to you, the same Jesus who put them together the first time can get them together the second time. I don't worry about that. The Bible says that one day when Jesus comes back, and if we've passed on, our bodies are in our grave, our bodies are dead, but we're still alive. And the Bible says Jesus is going to bring us with him, bring the spirits and souls of those who have died with him. And when the trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, those either collected or scattered remnants of our old body will be reconstituted into a like-sized body as unto the Lord Jesus. In other words, when Jesus comes back to receive us to himself, if we have died and we're in our grave, we're going to be raised up, and in that resurrection process, we're going to get a whole new body. We're going to get an extreme makeover on our way to heaven. You say, how do you know that? Listen to this. Listen to these words from Philippians. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, what does that mean to you? What it means to me is though I don't want to die, I'm not afraid to die because more than anything else that I know in all the world, I know that when I die, that's not the end. God has a wonderful plan for your life and mine that goes past the grave and ends up in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the next one. This is the most offensive thing Jesus ever said when he was on this earth. Are you ready for it? He said, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Try that on at your next office party and see what happens. (laughs) One of the biggest issues today is that you cannot be exclusive with the gospel. And you hear things like, don't all roads lead to heaven? No, that's a bad trip. You don't want to go on that trip. (laughs) Isn't everyone's faith just a matter of sincerity? No. How many of you know you can be sincerely wrong? I am directionally challenged, and I am a living illustration that you can be directionally, seriously wrong. And we have such trouble with this idea that Almighty God would say to us through His Word, here's the way to come to God, and there's only one way. And I remember one summer, we had a summer Bible conference speaker, and he got up and he said something I never forgot. He said, listen, Just as you can only be born physically one way, don't be surprised you can only be born spiritually one way. God put it in motion. Wasn't it totally, uncharacteristically exclusive of God 
to make being born the same for everybody who gets born physically. And the Bible says, in order to get to heaven, you have to be born again. So how do you get born again? There's only one way. Just like there's only one way to be born the first time, there's only one way to be born the second time. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, there is one God and one man between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. There's only one way. And you can go home and say, well, I didn't like that sermon, Pastor. I didn't think that was very nice. I don't think you should say those kind of things. You know, you could get in trouble for saying that. Well, bring on the trouble. Because I'm here to tell you that if a man claims to be a representative of God and gives you any other message, he's not helping you. He's damning you to an eternity without God. He's telling you there's a way you can get to heaven and that way isn't there. It isn't a Baptist way. It isn't a Presbyterian way. It isn't a Methodist way. It's not a charismatic way. It's God's way. God said you can get to heaven. Here's how you do it. Through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said that in John 14, 1 through 6. This is one of his great I am's. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Finally, he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. John 15, you have to stay connected to me if you're going to bear fruit. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. And he says, if you want to be fruitful as a Christian, stay plugged into the vine. This whole passage in John 15 is really a wonderful thing to study. It starts out by saying, if you're connected to the vine, you'll have some fruit. If you stay connected and really work it and make sure that you stay connected to the vine, you'll have more fruit. And finally, at the end, it says, you can have much fruit. You can have some fruit, you can have more fruit, or you can have much fruit. Everybody who's a Christian has some fruit in their life or they're not a Christian. And here's the secret. The closer you stay to the vine, the more fruitful you will be. And I've learned through many illustrations in my life that the way the Lord manages that for all of us, because most of us don't have the discipline to keep things out of our lives that suck up the juice of God, he prunes us, doesn't he? That's what God does. When you're in the vine, the Bible says the Heavenly Father, who's the gardener, He prunes you. Here's what I've learned, and this is what I want you to take home with you. You are never closer to the vine and to the Father than you are when you are being pruned. You will never sense the presence of the Lord and his love for you more than when he reaches down and begins to do that work in your life. And he says, no, this is a leafy branch, and it's sucking you dry. You need to get that out of your life. Because I have plans for you, and my plans are that you will prosper here and prosper here. And if you do all of these other things, you can't prosper in the things I want you to prosper in. So there you have it, seven statements about Jesus. Seven things you may not have known about Jesus. Some of them you do. But I'm here to tell you, men and women, this Jesus I've been talking about, he's the real deal. (laughs) I asked a man this week about his relationship with the Lord, and he started giving me this long diatribe about his church, and I didn't care about that. Church really is important, but it's not the answer. What about Jesus? 
Is he the bread of your life? Is he the light of your world? Is he the door? Is he your shepherd? Is he your way, your truth, and your life? Is he the vine for you? He can be if you just put your trust in him. It starts at a decision, at a moment in time when you say, okay, Lord, here I am. This is my life. Move in and take over. And he will. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we have one message left in this series. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about this question. Is he king of the Jews or king of kings? And we will have finished our discussion. Once again, uh, this is in a full-length book called The Jesus You May Not Know. And you can get the CD package that goes with it, which is the audio teaching of The Jesus You May Not Know. These resources are meant to help you review what you've learned and share it with others. There's not a better thing you can do than gather your friends around, get them a study guide. You get the CD package in the book. You read ahead. You're going to be a great facilitator. And you discuss what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is. Could there be a better lesson or a more important one? I hope you'll take advantage of it today at davidjeremiah.org. Hey, and friends, don't forget, just one more day after right now for you to get your devotional for the 24 season. The beautiful Walking with Jesus leather-covered devotional is available to you for a gift of any size. Ask for your copy of this beautiful devotional when you send your December gift to Turning Point today. Thank you. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is strengthening your walk with the Lord, drop us a line at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO Sawasan, Delta, B.C., B4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2024, Walking with Jesus. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app or search in your app store for Turning Point Ministries to access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude The Jesus You May Not Know on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Have you ever noticed that when a radio or television commercial uses the word save, it's usually a commercial that is designed to get you to spend? 
Just think how much we would save if we'd never heard the commercial and hadn't spent anything. The truth is, everyone is more conscious of saving these days, and that's a good thing. It's easy to get caught up in the world's way of doing things, spending more and saving less. But the book of Proverbs reminds us to look to nature's ways, setting aside plenty in the harvest to save for the lean months to come. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's principles for managing money on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.